Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Fiction, science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. on FM Los 102.3 FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren. We've got Mr. David Martino, the New Age physician, with us here. Oh yeah, from yesterday. Yeah, yeah you got your business yeah. cards yet? I didn't have. I don't have my business cards yet on that. Wow. Just think of, maybe a week. You know, it takes about a week for them to come in. It's taking, <laughs> taking too long. You got you got to get on it you, before all the pandemic and flu season's over. You got to make some money. Yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned it because I had, and I, you know, I sent out for them, but I, I totally forgot about it since yesterday. Yeah. Martino Medicines. <laughs> Medicines. <laughs> yeah. Doctor Dave Crazy. Yeah. You need yeah. this type of scotch. That'll take care of it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Prescribing whiskey. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's that's the uh, that's that's about uh, that's about my speed. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> well, somebody's got to do it, right? You know, that's right. No lavender oil. It's whiskey. It's whiskey and rye and all those good things. That's right. Maybe some well Tennessee whiskey. Now, now the 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 book we're going to talk about today, um, I think you'd fit right in whiskey. Yeah. You know, That's right. It's about a gunslinger. Um, so now the book is called Melinda West, and it's a monster gunslinger. And, of course, the author is our guest today, and that's uh, K.C. Griffin. So thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. <laughs> you say that now. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. So this is this is a pretty cool-looking book. Um, I remember we had, um, we've had Anne Charles on a few times, and I know she does kind of a – um, a little bit more splatter punk, I think they call it, uh, of a Western mm-hmm. kind of stuff. What What is um, 
this book because this one's a monster, so it's obviously horror, and it's in horror categories. How do you categorize this? Yeah, so um, it's a category I call and others call weird Western, where it's uh, Old West aesthetic or setting, but combined with other genres. So it could be horror, fantasy, sci-fi. Um, so you mentioned the splatter horror genre, and that one is actually really popular with the Old West. There's a lot of splatter Westerns out there. So those are kind of extreme horror situations um, in the Old West. Mine is not really extreme horror. I'm actually a little too squeamish for extreme horror, even though I am a horror author. Um, I prefer kind of the monsters, the adventures, what's called a quest story, where the characters go on this epic adventure. Um, so more along the lines of like The Witcher or the Supernatural TV show, um, but with this Old West setting and this kind of Bonnie and Clyde-like character. So when you, when you do that, um, go back to that time... How realistic do you do you stay to the Old West and the Old West character, or is it happening in today's day? So my story takes place in the Old West, but it's really a reimagined Old West. So it's an alternate history um, during the Old West time period where monsters poured into the region and kind of forced humans to band together against this common enemy. Um, so I keep it historically accurate. But there aren't really the towns and states that we know. It's really kind of this old West that was never manifested in what it is today. So it's more this kind of frontier with monsters and people trying to figure out how to live, what to do. Um, yeah, so it's kind of a little different than I think other old West stories. Well, this isn't, or at least doesn't seem to be the first time you've written in the weird Western genre. It looks like you've done some short fiction um, in that. And what what, what makes you interested in the uh, weird Western uh, subgenre? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually, I wasn't that interested in kind of Old West period for the longest time. And it wasn't until I started playing a card game, actually, um, called Doomtown, which is based on the Steadlands universe, which is a pretty popular kind of weird West world with zombies and whatnot. Um, but this game had all of these really interesting characters, including a lot of women characters that were gunslingers and lawmakers and whatnot. And I had not really seen the Old West with that variety of characters Usually you picture kind of the stoic cowboy, you know, these archetypes um, that are really kind of embedded in the, the Old West genre. So it kind of sparked my imagination. I started writing some of the official stories for the card games. And then from there, I wanted to create my own Weird West universe. And I had this idea for this uh, couple and I wanted to sort of reverse the trope of the stoic cowboy and make it kind of a female stoic gunslinger. And her partner, Lance, who's kind of the opposite, he's easygoing and charming. And they kind of created this fun juxtaposition. Um, so for these short stories, they're going off on these adventures, fighting monsters. And they were very well received and published internationally in magazines and anthologies. So then I thought, okay, there's enough people interested and enough to this world that let me try a novel. Um, and that's what's coming out next week um, from Bridget Gates Press. And I actually am working on the second novel now, so I'm hoping to really flesh out, continue to flesh out the world. So do, do you um, do you find it um, 
interesting to mix the category, like throw monsters uh-huh. into the Western. Um, is that sort of what, you know, the, the is that what you, you kind of focus on? Yes, that's exactly right. There's something, I think, about the Old West that's such a key time period in our history and that has this sort of atmosphere. Um, you know, there's the frontier, there's these beautiful landscapes, the Rockies and whatnot that kind of invite almost supernatural musings, right? It seems like a perfect landscape for ghost stories and monsters and whatnot. Um, so that's exactly, that's exactly what I do and other writers in the weird West genre do as well. Um, so, you know, people may have seen the movie Cowboys and Aliens or the Wild Wild West. Those are kind of some examples where you might have, you know, zombies in the old West or an alien attack or that sort of thing. And that's all considered weird West. Uh, Now you're, you're monsters in the, in the, let's say uh, the supernatural part of it. Are you, do you take the regular? positions on all those characters like the, the monsters and the supernatural sort of thing is that created as well like reimagined or do you take the typical storylines oh so i create my own monsters um and i actually look to kind of nature and the animal kingdom for inspiration <laughs> so a lot of my monsters are um kind of insects that are maybe like mutant insects or ghost spiders um i have one monster that's a snow kraken so this giant octopus that lives under like a frozen lake uh so i try to mix and match some of the interesting factoids from the actual animal kingdom and come up with these new monsters wow quite an imagination do these monsters do you put the characters on them or are they sort of just as a position of being a monster so the characters have to battle these monsters in most cases. They're monster exterminators, so to speak, like Ghostbusters, right? So they go around to these towns and they help other people with whatever monster invasion or infection that they're dealing with. Uh, and that's kind of kind of the plot for a lot of the short stories and also the book. Does that answer your question? Uh, sort of. Um I was just wondering if if you write from a perspective of any of your creatures. Oh, I see perspective. You know, that's really interesting. I've actually never thought of doing that until now. Um, <laughs> there you that go. would be really fun, actually. I'll have to yeah. check that out. Yeah, I think it kind of gives a – because so much of what uh, goes on in, in these kind of – in battle senses and stories is uh, – who, whosever point of view you get to listen to, you feel compassion for them because quite often, because whoever's doing the bad thing thinks they're doing it right. So like mm-hmm. the, the monsters themselves might think they're good and they're not, they're, they're not doing anything wrong if you had their perspective, you know what I'm saying? And then, so it would give you the reason why they're doing it sort of. Yeah. I love that. And actually I try to um, have that, perspective a little bit in terms of sometimes the characters feel a little guilty uh, when they're exterminating the monsters, but then they tell themselves, oh, it's like killing a nest of cockroaches. We have to do it. But that's actually a little bit of a source of conflict for the characters. That's really kind of interesting. Um, Having the perspective from the monster would be fun. Yeah. It always, it it always, because it'll change the reader's mind overall Mm -hmm. when they're reading a story, I think. But um, now your get your 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 main characters like uh, Melinda West. Where does she come from? 
It's a great question. And I was thinking about this last week. Um, and I didn't really base her on anyone I, I know personally. It was more what would sort of the ideal friends I would want in this kind of situation look like in terms of being, you know, brave and, and loyal. Um, but also that archetype I mentioned earlier, the stoic cowboy that you see in a lot of old Westerns, you know, what would that look like kind of gender swapped and also in this monster setting. So that was sort of the, the initial formation of the character. Um, and yeah, it just worked. There's, there, there hasn't been a whole lot of female Western characters, right? I could think of, That's right. um, Sharon Stone did that one where she was kind of a, um, it, but it, there, there hasn't been a whole lot of that. So this is kind of, it's kind of a, an, an interesting, uh, twist on it. How deep are you going to go into her? Um, in terms of perspective or. Yeah. Like, are you, cause you said you're, you've got a second mm-hmm. one that you're kind of work on now. So, I mean, are you going to go right through her point of view as, and where she came from and kind of what she, where she got. The yeah, story? yeah, exactly. And um, I'm, actually planning out a few books in the series and I want them each to be sort of standalone, but interconnected and they all take place from her point of view. So we get to see her evolution kind of from this monster exterminator to maybe what regrets she faces, you know, what losses they deal with along the way and how they grow. Um, But going back to what you said about not a lot of female protagonists in the old West and weird West genres, that was also one of my goals with the story, because when you do think of female characters, they're almost always, you know, the wife, the love interest, the farm girl, or the brothel worker is a super common female character in the Old West. Yeah. So I really wanted to create this Old West world where women are not just those characters, they're also, you know, the outlaw, the peacemaker, the gunslinger. So just kind of a little more gender balance throughout and, you know, it's um, there's actually a lot of really interesting historical stories in, in reality of women doing amazing things in the Old West that are not super well known. So I take some inspiration from those as well. Like that, Oakley, yeah. But, not, um, more, you know, there's a lot more women who did amazing things in that time period. It's not all Miss Kitty. <laughs> well where do you find those stories like i would think that i because i haven't i never really come across any of them but i'm not i haven't been looking i'm not in that area but um so where do you find stories like that so my first i always kind of scour the internet first and see there's always you know fans of different time periods who have collected um stories and whether they're retellings or uh, I love going back to firsthand accounts, like the old newspaper clippings, which some of them are online and you can read about, you know, what they were writing about in the times. For example, there was a pair of um, women sheriffs and that was a big deal for that time period. Um, Also, I love going to used bookstores, especially being here in Southern California and finding some books, you know, just from that time period. And I found a lot of gems where they just, you know, recount these tales and stories and um, small towns that you've never heard of. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of research involved just as that inspirational point. Well, how do you keep all of this organized? You know, you have to keep track uh, within the series of all the information, the stories that you've uh, looked up, uh, characters, um, do you use tools or do you have a process for um, keeping continuity? 
<laughs> I wish I had a better process. I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, one thing I do to stay organized is I have what's called my monster almanac um, because I reference and create a lot of monsters in the short stories as well as in the novel. So I kind of list them out alphabetically, their attributes. Um, you know, one day I think it might be fun to like get it printed and get illustrations for them. Uh, so my monster almanac is is a key resource. And then in terms of tracking characters and plot and all of that, I'm experimenting with a lot of different methods, but I always come back just to an Excel spreadsheet. Um, but I'm not the most organized when it comes to writing, which is a little odd for me because I'm very organized in my regular life, but something about writing, I just need to be a little messier and more freeform to make those stories. Which comes first, the story or the characters? <laughs> That is a good question. I think for this world we're talking about, the characters for sure came first. Um, for a lot of my short stories, the idea and the plot comes first. And then I figure out what character would not do well in that plot and kind of plug them in. How developed do you get the characters before you start building the world? Um, I don't really flesh out huge backstories typically. I find it for me kind of distracting to have too much of the backstory ahead of time. Um, so I really kind of just freeform it for the most part. I'm wondering, are, are you the type of writer that can hear the characters in, in your mind um, and, and even the prose in your mind? Do you have an inner monologue? Is that how you create dialogue or is there some other way? For sure. I definitely hear them, hear like, bits of lines and dialogue like throughout the day, I try to capture it as best I can on my phone until I can kind of sit down and compile the notes. Um, for dialogue for old Westerns, it's a little different than other stories, right? Because you have these kind of fun sayings and um, dialect that's used in the old West, but I really try to balance not getting too into the dialect because I find it can be a little distracting um, and it can also border on corny a little bit if it's not done well. So I try to do just little um, highlights of kind of old West sayings and whatnot dropped in. Cause my goal is really to make it a fast paced, easily readable story. So I don't want people to get bogged down with heavy dialects. Do you know what triggers these voices in your brain? <laughs> you know, that's a great question. I any kind of story I'm working on, I'll usually get random lines coming to me. I'm not sure what triggers it. I think it's just part of that writing process. Um, it's helpful because then when I sit down to actually write, I have these notes I can refer back to and kind of expand upon, right? Um, and you hear a lot of writers saying they have ideas in the middle of the night and forget them in the morning. Uh, that happens to me too, and I try to jot it down as best I can. Uh, it doesn't always work out, but I figure if I can capture at least 90% of it, then it's I'm probably in good shape. Yeah, that's what I mean by trigger. I mean, it, it, does it just happen? You're driving down the road and all of a sudden someone starts talking to you and then you start doing weird things? or just... yeah, yeah, I think something about driving is a common one. And this is for lots of writers, right? Driving, shower, basically when you're doing something maybe monotonous and your mind is bored or, you know, so, something happens and you're just open to whatever those lines are that come through the challenge is to capture them because they are very hard to remember an hour later well as long as you're not walking in the shopping mall and start yelling and talking to yourself and then getting your phone and recording yourself that's 
nothing too far out. Which one of these characters do you feel closest to? So definitely not the main characters, because I would feel very afraid of those monsters and not want to be near them. Um, <laughs> I And I actually love this question. Um, sort of a similar question is what kind of character would you be in the Old West or the Weird West? And I would probably be kind of the storekeeper, you know, owner of the shop with all the knickknacks and whatnot and keeper of knowledge, you know, maybe a librarian or something to to help the main character out when they run into a obstacle. I think that's probably what I'd be. You know, a lot of authors say that they're, they're a lot of themselves is in the main characters, but if you're not really thrilled like you would be scared of the main characters how much do you think of yourself goes into these characters like melinda west for instance right i think i definitely i mean that's a good point we all share some attributes with some of our characters right um otherwise they probably wouldn't come to life the same way um i would say for melinda west um what resonates kind of most in me that i have transferred to her is this kind of um, not conflict, but this desire to, you know, help others do the best I can with whatever resources I have, but then also, you know, whatever guilt you have at maybe not doing the, the ideal situation. And I guess this is most manifested in what's called like mom's guilt, right? You can never do enough as a mom, a working mom, especially. So kind of that guilt, but also knowing you're trying to do the best you can. Uh, so I think that transfers a little bit to Melinda West where, you know, she's fighting monsters, trying to save people, but it doesn't always work out. She's doing the best she can, but it's not always going to be ideal. Um, so that's probably the closest attribute I would share, I think. Now, when you talk about supernatural, like psychic bugs and things like that, have you, it, where does this come from for you? Do you have kind of, um, paranormal experiences or beliefs or something or, um, how did that, uh, get into it as well? Yeah, I've always loved anything kind of supernatural or out of the ordinary. Growing up, I loved X-Files and comic books like X-Men, just anything that was kind of outside of the mundane, ordinary world we live in. Um, so I've always been drawn to that horror, sci-fi, fantasy. Um, as far as supernatural uh, occurrences in my own life, I during my day job, I'm in the world of science and research and um, science communication. So I I think I'm a little too scientific to really fully enjoy like ghost stories and whatnot. But that said, I do think, you know, we don't know everything about the world. There's all kinds of strange things that happen that can't be explained. Um, so I'm kind of like right on that border there where, you know, I'm open to the possibilities of supernatural occurrences. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. But I don't believe, you know, every single ghost story I hear. Um, so kind of like Scully and Mulder and X-Files situation. You know, I want to believe, kind of believe um, back and forth there. Yeah. A lot of questioning going on. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting. So do you find that um, like um, when you put the story together, so it sounds to me like you've got characters kind of a basic and then you put them through an event, some sort of you've created the world and you're, you're putting them through a story. Um, do you think there's all, um, 
a subtext that arises from that story, something below the um, entertainment value of all the creatures and things going on in the stoic Western sharpshooter and stuff. Is there some sort of a, a meaning that you hope people get out of the book? Yeah, I think um, as with a lot of horror, there's always kind of the fear, right? Fear of the unknown, um, which is made tangible with these monsters, with, you know, the stakes being high. Um, and that's kind of what we're always dealing with. And especially uh, in today's society, right? There's so much unknown. There's so much conflict. So there's a lot of fear and anxiety. Um, so in this world, it was sort of nice to just have these tangible monsters to attack, take care of, eliminate, you know, problem done. But of course, it's never that simple. And even in the story itself, the monsters maybe not, maybe aren't as evil as the characters think they are. So I guess the book kind of gets at that complex complexity of, you know, evil versus good versus what the average person can do about it. Um, and then, yeah, fear of the unknown. The monsters are unknown in that case, but they can stand in for all kinds of, you know, parallels. Um, and then actually in my second book, they're dealing with kind of the supernatural virus, which reflects a lot of my fears about, you know, our recent issues with the pandemic and um, not even the virus itself, but how people react and whether they come together or not. So there's a little bit of that in the second book as well. Well, having a science background, did, did you find it difficult to transition to writing creative fiction? Or did you find that it was just a uh, just came natural to you. So I had started creative writing um, when I was a kid, actually. I was always writing stories. And then uh, in my 20s, when I was looking for what I wanted my career to be, I started off working in a lab as a scientist, um, found it wasn't really for me, but that I really liked communicating about science. And I had the background to understand, you know, the technical details. Um, so I studied what's called science journalism, which is where you are taking dense scientific concepts and translating them for the public and writing about them in engaging ways. And uh, that kind of nonfiction journalistic writing was very helpful to be trained in. And it actually influenced my creative writing in that I learned to be more succinct. I learned to be able to kind of get to the point, keep the action moving. Um, so, yeah, it was interesting how I went from creative writing to nonfiction and then kind of balancing both now. Um, it's, yeah, it's been wonderful to be able to write in my day job, but then also creatively. Um, I wonder, like when you when you mentioned that earlier about being in the science and, and kind of, um, you know, doing the second book and talking about how people come together or would they and stuff. Would would the way people behave during the real pandemic, did that sort of surprise you? And does that open your eyes on how you're going to write these characters? I think so. Um, so part of, you know, I think sci-fi stories, if you think about apocalypse, end of the world stories, a lot of them were about how people came together against a common enemy right? Independence Day, the movie or whatever. Um, but as we saw in the pandemic, humanity is much more complex than that, right? We have politics, we have varying information. And of course, people are going to think different things and not all come together necessarily. Uh, so I think that was pretty eye-opening, depressing in a lot of ways, but um, definitely good, good fodder for 
characterization and writing about kind of parallel situations like that. Yeah, because in a way it makes you because you you're forced with uh, seeing how people really react or how they behave. I guess, during such an event, right? So that kind of, I guess, it, so it'll probably flavor your second book somewhat. Mm, I think so, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It was a sort of shock to me, in a way, uh, how how much it happened. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, um, interesting, too, you know. Yeah. How do you know when the book's done, when you're writing it? Like, what, what, what is it that uh, triggers for you that you kind of go, yeah, that's it? Um, I usually have the ending in mind already, so it's really just getting to that point and fleshing out kind of all the steps that happen in between. Um, I always kind of want it to be over sooner than it is, but I'm getting better about going back and fleshing out scenes, especially um I think I'm so used to journalistic writing and short story writing that writing the novel, it was actually hard for me to expand to that novel length at first. So I think for the second time around, I'm much more mindful of, okay, I can take my time, I can really um, explore these different scenes, but also keep the action moving. Well, now that you've had time to uh, explore novel writing, um, do, do you find that you consider yourself more of a natural short story writer? Or do you feel that you're more of a natural novelist? Do you have a preference now that you've done both? I really enjoy both. And um, as a kid and teenager, I wrote mainly novel-length stories. I mean, none were published, obviously, but I always kind of naturally wrote long. Uh, But then I wrote short stories um, as an adult as a way to come back to creative writing and really hone that skill, which is very different than novel writing, Um, So right now, I would say I really enjoy both, and there are big pros and cons to both. I think to make it as an author in terms of, you know, getting people to read your work, the novel is really key. Um, And it's interesting, too, the reactions I've had when I share that I have a debut novel coming out. Um, People get really excited, friends, family, associates. Um, but they were not that excited when I had a short story coming out. They were supportive, but it wasn't the same. So I think um, for writers, it's it's nice to explore both, but the novel is kind of the core, I think, um, especially if you want to make it as a you know full-time or regular author, um, you really need the novel. Well, where did it start for you? Like what, what made you get into writing? Um, I wrote pretty much as soon as I had learned how to write. And I was trying to remember what age that was. I don't know if that's eight or nine. Uh, whenever you can actually like, you know, write out a story, I had always just written tales. I had a, um, one of my early stories was about a girl who shrunk down on a paper airplane and like flew around. And I had a teacher who would read these stories to the class. And she would always read my stories, but they always ended the same way, which was um, the line, it was all a dream. Because I was a kid, right? I, I didn't know how to end a story. But I used it so much that at one point, uh, the whole class said the line at the same time. And it was kind of a shock to me. And it was, made me realize, okay, I need better endings for my stories. What, what do you think the hardest part of writing a, a, a book was? Oh, there's a lot of hard parts yeah. to it. Um. And I think it really differs from person to person and from book to book. For me, uh, finishing a book was always kind of the challenge, finishing a story, right? It's 
I think, easy to start, get excited about it, but to actually like force yourself to sit there and finish it. Um, that to me was probably a, a more challenging aspect this time around. Um, but it's incredibly rewarding, right? Because the story is not a story until it's done. So you have to finish those those tales. Um, and then, you know, the um, publication process is very long. Um, there's always a lot of rejections. So it can be, I think, frustrating for anyone. Um, but I was used to kind of that process from short stories. So it's really just about perseverance and you know, keep trying and eventually you'll find that publisher that loves the story as much as you. Yeah. Well, you could always stick your Melinda West on them. <laughs> <laughs> What's a good book for you? What do you, what do you, what do you like and what, what do you like about certain books and what makes it good? Um, so for me, I want to be entertained. I don't want to have to work too hard <laughs> to read the book. Uh, you know, I think some books is okay. And, I've done plenty of classes where we're studying, you know, hard to read books. But at this point in my life, I just want a story that's entertaining. And I also want something that is not lazy. So not relying on a lot of stereotypes or the same old kind of plots that we're used to. Um, so something hopefully entertaining, but somewhat original. Those would be my like two big things I would love to see in a book. Who do you who do you like to read? Or do you? Oh, so many. It's <laughs> uh, And I jump around quite a bit. I read horror, sci-fi, literary. Um, there's a lot of amazing authors in the horror indie community um, who are great. Way too many to name. But um, I would say as far as like writing inspirations, um, I enjoyed the work of Octavia Butler for sci-fi, uh, Margaret Atwood for literary um, William Gibson had a big influence on me for kind of the cyberpunk sci-fi. Um, and then if I had to pick a book that kind of exemplifies those two aspects I was talking about, entertaining but also original, I would have to point to the Hunger Games trilogy. I just think she did such an amazing job of creating this world and story that is so addicting. You can't put the books down. Uh, but that also has really big themes and is original compared to kind of other books coming out at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Makes a difference. Now, no. So what, what is your structure when you sit down and write? Cause you talk about that, how you said you're a little bit messier and you're normally really organized. So are you, are you sitting down and uh, outline? Do you, can you structure your day and say, well, I'm going to write two hours today and do so many words and you're all sort of set up like that? Or is it a complete, ad hoc just a total at will you know whenever it's yeah it's kind of both um i wish i could sit down and say i'm gonna write you know five thousand words in two hours uh i have two small children one is an infant uh and a full-time job so it's hard to plan exact writing time and also word count because i don't know what kind of mental state i'm going to be in am i going to be super tired or stressed or whatnot uh, but then again, you know, it is helpful to have some goals so that, you know, months go by and, and nothing's been written. So I try to have at least some guideposts. So, you know, I'd like to write maybe 5,000 words this week, you know, give myself a break and not uh, have to do it every single day if I can't. Um, in terms of kind of organizing and writing, I 
just have a very basic Excel list of rough scenes. Um, I wish I was more of a potter. You know, you have some writers who can get out the index cards and have all their scenes and all the conflicts. And I love that. But every time I try to do it, it just creates kind of a mental block for me. So um, one method I do enjoy is the snowflake method, um, which is where you kind of come up with your three big disasters for the story and you kind of snowflake out the bigger parts of each of those disasters. That to me is very helpful because it gives me some guidance, but not, you know, very specific things I have to do every scene. Plus the stress and stuff, like when you're like during the pandemic, you must have been writing a lot of this and doing some of the work. So did that sort of, do you think, um, soak into the story? Did it become darker because of what's going on around you? Or can you totally shut that off? I think it actually became um, lighter in a way because I was so stressed out, as we all were, that I wanted kind of pure escapism. And, you know, creative writing is great for that. So I wanted to create this world that I could be immersed in that was not our own kind of time period and, and world and create these monsters that were, you know, could be dealt with. Um, so it was kind of, and, and I wanted it to be somewhat fun to read, not very heavy and dark, like some horror. Um, but obviously there are monsters there, there's tension, uh, but there's also fun moments, lighthearted moments. And really, I just wanted to create a fun kind of monster adventure. Right. So, so there's some humor in it. Yeah, for sure. There's some quipping of the characters and, um, I wouldn't call it a humorous book, but there's definitely lighter moments. Do you try to be careful on where you work the the lighter, funner moments in, or do you just sort of let it go? Um, I think some of it's organic, right? Wherever I started to maybe feel like the story was getting too heavy or too stressed, you know, to maybe have a lighter moment there. Um Similarly, in the first draft, one of my readers said, oh, I feel exhausted reading this. The characters never rest. They never sleep. So that was also I went back and put in some moments where they could regroup. Um, and then in those moments, there there might be some lighter kind of dialogue. Do you have a problem writing about some of the more horrific things in a book? You know, when people are getting killed or when there's because you're dealing with monsters and and things like this. So when you write about some of the more darker elements, does that sort of that give you a struggle at all? Um, I wouldn't say a struggle, but I also I don't go too deep into very disturbing moments. Um, and some horror does this and does it very well. But for me, it's really, I want the reader to end the book feeling not happy, but not completely depressed or disturbed, um, but more satisfied. Like they had a, a fun, interesting adventure um, with scary moments, right? But in terms of monsters, gore, you know, characters dying, that uh, of course has to happen in some cases. And I try to write about it in a way that's maybe more emotional than um, visceral, if that makes sense. Right, right. Wow. So now, do you like um, 
interacting with fans and readers on social media? Do you have all that set up and do you have a website? Like where, where do people find Casey? Yeah. So I'm on all the social media platforms as Casey Griffin. Um, no spaces or dashes or anything. And I'm on there, love talking to people, other writers, horror fans. Um, there's a lot of very active communities, you know, Facebook, Twitter, um, TikTok, Instagram. And then I also have a website and a monthly newsletter, which is just at CaseyGriffin.com. Perfect. Of course, we'll have that up on the website as well so people can find you easily, one click. Um, so what are you doing on TikTok? You do some dancing and have a an, an animal with you or something? Or? <laughs> no, I'm still trying to figure out TikTok, but um, I like to do teasers for books, and I also like to show what books I'm reading. And TikTok's a very interesting social media platform. Um, I really enjoy it. I find a lot of funny content on there, a lot of authors on there, and everything from people kind of speaking, uh, being on video themselves, to more creatively edited pieces. Um, so I'm... Yeah, I'm mostly sharing kind of my writing stuff and also books and other authors I enjoy. Yeah. Yeah, you just have to get some disco music and start dancing, <laughs> you know. Maybe something. That. That's what, you know, you never know. People are kind of that way, you know. Right. Do, 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 do you take, pay attention to reviews? Does that sort of affect you? Do you even look at them? You know, uh, it's funny because I've had reviews with short stories, but with the novel it's different, right? You have reviews just about your work as opposed to an anthology or a magazine. Um, and I wasn't quite sure how I would feel about it. I know some authors don't ever read them, some obsess over them. Um, I've been reading them mostly to see if there's anything kind of consistently coming up that might be good for me to address in the future. So, for example, if um, lots of reviews are saying, oh, this character didn't work because of XYZ, or I wish they had done this, you know, then I might pay attention and incorporate it. Um, but I think for the most part, you know, good reviews are great, bad reviews are downer, but in the end, you're still going to write the way you're going to write mostly. And yeah, the reviews ultimately don't matter. So now, and you're also, I guess what, you're the um, co-founder of the uh, Horrors Writer Associ Horror Writers Association of San Diego, right? That's right. Yep. And I co-founded that when I moved here to San Diego from the East Coast to try to help find some um, horror writers. There's a, a great chapter in L.A., but it's a little far from San Diego, at least for me to go, go monthly. Uh, but there's a great group of horror writers here. We have some New York Times bestsellers. I mean, there's just such a rich writing community in San Diego, which not everybody would realize necessarily. Um, and then it's also great to connect with writers, to support new writers. Um, it's It's been wonderful. Right. And and should you have a website for that? Can can anybody join that writes horror? Yes. So they would have to join the National Horror Writers Association, which um, they go to their website and there's all the information. And, you know, depending where they're located, there's chapters all over the country and actually internationally as well. And it's a great organization. I highly recommend it. Uh, whether you're a writer or a fan of horror, um, you know, artists, kind of anybody who's a fan of horror can join. That's right. I had written some, um, it's called kind of the card flavor. So background stories to some of the cards that came out for the Doomtown game. 
Um, that was a few years ago when I was playing competitively, won some regional tournaments and then became involved in writing. And uh, that was a really great experience because it was kind of my first foray into Weird West writing um, and eventually gave me the inspiration to create my own world. And people, they, so there's a lot of people that buy those card games like they do really well. You know, I there's a definitely a dedicated community of players. There's so many great card games out now, and I used to play a lot more uh, before I had children. <laughs> but the card game world, there's just creative worlds. There's really fun game mechanisms. Um, it's something I really enjoyed and hope to get back to someday. <laughs> Maybe when I retire, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get doing too much, you know, that's how it goes, you know. Well, it's been a, it's been a pleasure, and we've enjoyed having you on. The book we're talking about is Melinda West, Monster Gunslinger, and the authors are guest, Casey Griffin. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, Casey. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.